0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 102 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And we're coming back after having a week off for vacation. Sometimes you gotta take advantage of that time that you get. But we are back this week with our special guest, Gary Hesseltime. Gary has over a 24-year career uh, as a police officer. He is the founder and editor of UFO Truth magazine, and he's also the vice president of ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Gary has a lot of different faces that he has, Um, so we're going to get into each little thing that he's involved with, so it should be a great episode to come back from. So as we always say, strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 102 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peek, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today's episode is sponsored by Kevin Briggs' new book, Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey. Uh, it is now the number one bestseller at BMK Publishing. You can get that over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Today, we have special guest, Gary Heseltine Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. I've seen your bio and, and everything that you've been involved in. It's, it's very interesting, um, and I would love to chat about some of this stuff. So, thank you for coming on today and uh, taking the time to be with us.
1: You're welcome. Anytime.
0: Um, so, I guess let's start from the beginning. Um, you served in the RAF from 83 to 89, um, and then you went on to a um, – British Transportation Police, so a total of 24 years in your career. Um, Did you have a sighting or or something involving UFOs while you were were in the police force?
1: Um, I did have some sightings off duty, uh, but uh, my interest in the subject began as a 16-year-old in 1976 when uh, I was walking my then-girlfriend home in the town of Scunthorpe in Lincolnshire in the UK. And uh, it was a lovely August summer's night, uh, lots of stars out, no clouds. And we see a non distinct, bright white light moving right to left at perhaps a 60 degree angle. Uh, and we were at the time walking along a long footpath that on one side was the high school fields, and on the other side, there were a series of gardens. So if you can imagine a long uh, footpath dissecting these two things. And in the distance, we saw the light. And at the end of the footpath, which was approximately 200 meters away, um, there there was housing with all the lights on, et cetera. And when the object uh, passed by us, i.e., if you can imagine a big line straight in front of you, like the pathway that you're on, and then suddenly the object crossing the pathway right to left, as soon as it went past us, All the housing in the distance uh, was plunged into darkness with a big power grid failure, uh, which was really weird. So we watched it, it went a bit further, and then there was like another power grid failure behind it. And at the time, I was pushing my bicycle, and so it was the object was moving very slowly in the direction of my home. Now we were quite close to my then girlfriend's house, so I said, Get on the crossbar of the bike. And I will ride you to your house, which was only a couple of hundred meters away, three or four hundred meters away, and uh, her house and all the area was in darkness. I then left her quickly and then retraced my steps, went along this long, narrow footpath, went onto a big road called Grange Lane South, road like mad. The whole area is plunged into darkness, and I can still see the object on my right slowly moving uh, in the direction of my home. Now, on a on a corner near to my home as the road went to the left i uh, uh, i i realized that the light the power was still on in the area where i lived and on this corner there was a clear demarcation from complete power outage uh to lights being on so it was a real demarcation line so as i got to that corner I glanced to my right and realized that I'd managed to just slowly get ahead of the light, moving very slowly, and it was just slightly behind me. So I rent, I rode fast as I could. I went around two corners. Uh, My house was at the beginning of a road called Baysdale Road. Dropped my bike outside, rushed inside. My parents were having, as we do in Britain, a cup of tea. So this is nine, half past nine, something like that. And I said, come outside. I think there's going to be a power cut caused by this strange light. And they just sat there bemused. They didn't get up. So I raced through the hall into the kitchen, out the back door, to the bottom of the garden, turned around to look at my, what was a semi-detached house, uh, to see the object just coming over my rooftop. And I'm at the bottom of the garden. And I, to this day, I don't know why I do it, but as soon as I'm at the bottom of the garden, I put my hand up straight as if I'm answering a question in class. And as the object literally goes past the 90 degree point above my hand, as soon as it does so, the whole area, including my house, is plunged into darkness. Now, that's ridiculous. How can I predict the power cut? And I realized that at that point, whatever that object was, and having moved to a second geographical position, that light, whatever it was, must have interacted with the power grid because it's ridiculous to think that I could predict the power cut. And that's where my interest began.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I actually run a project where we look into these electrical malfunctions that happen with these UFO sightings. Um, they're happening more and more. So that's really interesting. Um, that Now, it was doing one grid at a time as it was moving through with the neighborhoods? Well,
1: uh, all I can do is view it from from my perspective. And it was always be the area behind the flight path of the object. So, so basically, from the, it would seem that from the object's point of view, as soon as it had passed over territory, everything behind its flight path was being switched off. That's how I looked at it. And, and I think that having moved to that second geographical position, which was about three quarters of a mile away to my home from where we'd originally seen it, Uh, that can really be the only explanation because it it is ridiculous to think that I could predict a power cut. But literally, as soon as it went past my hand and that 90 degrees that I'd made with my hand straight up, the whole area plunged into darkness for about 30 minutes. Um, And so, yeah, that's what kicked it off. I had no interest whatsoever up to that point.
0: Wow. Was there any uh, noise or any vibrations or static in the air coming from the object?
1: No, no noise whatsoever, and an indistinct, extremely bright light, which is very common in UFO terms, but I didn't know that then. Um, and it just, it just moved along very slowly and silently, like I say, about a sixty degree angle. So it wasn't high,
0: you know, right above me. It was relatively low altitude from my position. Okay. Um, So you said you also had some sightings while you were off duty, while you were a police officer as well. Would you like to explain some of those to us?
1: Yeah. uh, Obviously, because of that initial sighting, uh, I think anybody who does have a strange experience, um, one of the things that they're likely to do for the rest of their lives is, is look up in the sky a bit more. And that's what happened to me. And so I started to do stargazing and things like that. Uh, and as I got older, um, certainly uh, in, in into my thirties, I then began to do a lot of night, uh, you know, sit out at night as as a, a way of uh, pastime late at night if the weather was good, looking at the stars. And uh, I can remember that I've seen quite a few things, but probably the best one that I can recall now would be I think it would be about two thousand and eight. Uh, in, a, in, in a different area to where I'm living now. But basically, and, and it's relevant now because of the talk about spheres being seen by the Arrow office and the footage from, you know, uh, the Mosul-Afghan uh, uh, sphere that's shown in the clip. Uh, basically, I saw something very akin to that. Um, where I lived, in, it was in a, uh, just outside a, a city called Wakefield in West Yorkshire at the time. And uh, in my back garden, uh, there was no real housing overlooking, so I it was a lovely, pleasant view. And I was used to seeing a lot of aircraft in the sky because it was on one of the main routes to what was called Leeds Bradford Airport. So you'd often see, especially up to maybe midnight, at any time, five or six planes in the sky. And so you get kind of used to the trajectories that they would follow to the airport and from and uh, anyway uh, I was pegging out some washing and uh, onto a like a rotary line and as I'm uh, pegging washing out I glance to my right and in the distance I see what looks like a very low object coming straight towards me on what was an unrecognized trajectory uh, you know, maybe 30, 40 degree angles uh, and I looked and I'm thinking, well, okay, that's very low. I wonder what that is. So I kept pinning claws out and glancing and I'm thinking I'll see some navigation lights soon. This was maybe only uh, 6, 6.30. It was, it was just the, the onset of dusk, but still bright. and And basically the object's coming towards me and I'm thinking, this is odd it's on an unusual flight path and there is no navigation lights that you normally always see and i'm getting a bit curious and i i glanced to my left and uh, uh, and that would take me onto the patio of the house and into the house and the doors were open and in the dining room and on the dining room was a set of binoculars so he you can imagine I've got this pile of clothes and I'm, I'm hanging them out with a chair next to me one by one kind of thing. I see these objects and I'm thinking, no navigation lights, this is odd. Uh, do I drop the clothes and just go for it and try to get binoculars onto this thing? And in the end, that's what I did. I basically dropped the clothes, ran into the house, got to the dining table, picked up the binoculars and ran outside. Now, as I run outside... The object is much, much closer and it's now slightly, uh, say a 45 degree angle now to the patio doors to the left as I come outside and much lower. And I can now clearly see what I would describe as a silver sphere, perhaps three four hundred 300 meters away, uh, maybe under a thousand feet. And it was silently moving uh, towards my house Uh, from my angle right to left and uh, I had the binoculars by this time so I quickly put the binoculars on them and and then obviously this is now beginning to become almost parallel with me and I managed to get three or four seconds of of, aided vision through the binoculars and, and it was just a clear silver sphere estimate I don't know one or two times the size of a car no propulsion system not a balloon just silently gliding uh, and literally got that vision and then it went between two houses so i lost vision so i then run through the the house uh to the front door of the house and and as i did so i shouted to my then partner uh to come out because it's a strange object and literally as i get to the front door and out into the front garden and to the main road uh, i still get to see it but it's going off between houses in the distance and at that point, then my my then partner came out and she just saw the object going off into the distance, but she didn't get this aided vision or side parallel view that I got, which was clearly uh, what I would just describe as a silver sphere. Uh, and and so you know, I think that's probably the closest I've come to
0: seeing what I can normally describe as a total anomalous object. Did anybody else happen to see the object or make a report later on? Uh,
1: I looked in the papers, uh, nothing seen. And to, and to be fair, the the, the the attitude of the British media then was very poor. It's not much better now, but it was very poor. Uh, so I, was, I didn't become aware of anything else. The only corroboration I had was from uh, my then partner, but it was, it was not the vision that I got. She just saw an object going off into the distance. So she corroborated part of it. But she didn't get the close-up view that I got.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: so no, no more than that. But from my point of view, that's that's probably the best sighting. Now I also do a lot of night vision. You know, since uh, 2010, I've done a lot of night vision. I've got a set of night vision goggles. So on a nice clear night, um, I'll sit out there generally in the summer, spring and summer. Uh, and what I do is I hook them up to. It's got a video out, so I, I hook it up to a tripod. Uh, feed uh, the the image from the lens into a laptop, so I just pan around using uh, a tripod, uh, and the image comes out. And I always record, and I've got I don't know, must be hundreds of hours of footage. Now most of the things that I'm seeing are are obviously satellites, and you realise just how many satellites there are. Uh, but I'm interested in anomalous objects, so I look for multiples, and I've seen twos three is that I've recorded, perfect triangles uh, of three objects, three points of light moving in formation. I've captured that seven or eight times, they could well be satellites, but I'm not aware of any triangular formations now. I think there have been some in the past, but I'm not aware of any now. Um, I've got objects that have just blinked out from nowhere. Uh, you know, like sometimes you're out and at night you see suddenly a big flash in the sky, but you only see it once, occasionally you'll capture that just because you're recording. Uh, I've seen four objects moving all at the same time like in a Um, so that's the kind of thing that I do and on a couple of occasions I've recorded uh, also daytime with infrared filters, I've also captured what I consider an anomalous clip of an object and, it, and the cameras are side by side so you've got normal vision blue sky uh, and then no clouds and then you see an object coming towards you. not in the visible spectrum but in the infrared uh, lens uh, and and then suddenly it does one of these little blips of the light coming out shooting outside which you often see on like fleet footage sequences there are like a, anomalous balls spheres and then suddenly you'll see a blip of light shoot out from the side that's what i saw and i've got that recorded uh i've got all the clips as well i literally have that much stuff that i could go through but I've seen objects suddenly appear uh, in the night vision that weren't there, and then suddenly they appear from nowhere, and then, they, uh, and then you see other objects that suddenly increase the size, like a power-up, as it's often described, going from a small object to a, an object ten times the size. And I've got one sequence that I think is the best night vision sequence I've got, where an object is seen coming towards me, and... Um, uh, all in my garden. at another house, and uh, suddenly the object blows up to you know huge size, and then suddenly a- appears to do a right angle turn and shoot away at speed. And and I think that's backed up because there was fluffy cloud, and you see it going away in the distance and curling behind the cloud. So this is a very sharp turn um, captured on film. So. Uh, but I've never shown that to anybody other than at uh, one or two UFO conferences that I used to put on in the UK. But yeah, so lots of little things. But I've never seen as what I would definitively say is a spaceship, or and I'm certainly not, I've never seen an alien, and I've never seen I've never had a contact experience, as in an, an abduction
0: or contactee experience. Okay, okay. So you did uh, create the police reporting UFO sightings. Um, now, how was the stigma within the police uh, police force <laughs> at that time when it came to UFOs?
1: <laughs> well, it, it, I, I, I guess I took a risk. Um, uh, what happened was uh, this: this would be uh, two thousand and January two thousand and two is when I created the database and went live on the website. Uh, but in the months preceding that, my own uh, police force had. Uh, I've developed an intranet system, and it was the onset of social media, I guess, and everybody was putting up things like walking clubs, martial arts clubs, tennis clubs, you know, you know, and just that kind of thing. Well, I thought, well, if they're doing that, let's see what the response is to UFOs. So I, I created a little page, the UFOs. And said, "Look, I'd ever him when I was 16, and uh, I, you know, I knew that my police force had a lot of ex-military, like I was, and I, I kind of thought that there would be a lot of police officers who had seen things over the years, and uh, I'd read one or two reports and newspapers and books about that, uh, and so I put that on, and <laughs> when I put it out, I generally got teased by my colleagues, and it was a bit of a laugh." But one of the strange things that happened is that I received emails from other officers around the country saying, yeah, I've seen things, but they didn't want to talk publicly about it, but they would email me. So I knew that I'd, done, I'd, I'd tapped into something. And then with the creation of the, the database uh, uh, going public, and it was highlighted in a magazine called UFO Magazine, and there was a printed publication that went all around the world at that time. Uh, I started to get feedback from mostly retired officers that said yeah i've had sightings so in a sense i was teased by some colleagues but privately one-to-one a lot of them said you know it's really interesting what you're doing but they would never do that if there's a group of police officers they'll they'll kind of like all get giddy and and, and play play daft about it but one-to-one if you're out with them on patrol or something like that they would they'd be really interested in what i was doing and, and ironically I got lots of police reports. So, you know, we're now, 20-odd years later, we're we're now looking at 1,100 police officers and over 500 cases uh, in the UK. So it proved that I was right to to do what I did. But, you know, I think there's still a lot more. And I'm hoping that with the the stigma now receding, especially from the US point of view, uh, if things develop as they are, then then hopefully many, many, many more hundreds, if not thousands of police officers will come forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, flight pilots, astronauts, cosmonauts, air traffic controllers, these very high caliber witnesses, the stories are waiting just out there
0: uh, as the stigma recedes. So I look forward to that time. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, And have you found any similarities or anything that pops up again and again in reports? Have you found anything like that throughout your time collecting these uh, UFO reports?
1: Uh, I'm not a big lover of statistics because whilst in the police, um, I realized that you can pretty much manipulate statistics to any way you want if you you know how to do that. Uh, And, you know, I worked in some offices where you could actually do that with crimes, and, and I kind of didn't like that. But inevitably, there are some statistics you can pull away. And from my police database, proof course, uh the, the biggest thing that I take, uh, I guess, most interest in is that about 70% of all the cases, so 70% of the 550, 560 reports that I've got are multiple officer cases anywhere from two to one case of about 22. Um, and and so that is interesting, because we've we've lived in an era in an era of, of, of stigmatism. And I always used to say, well, all a lot of these cases, two, three, four, five officers, they're all seeing the same thing, often from different geographical uh, positions, corroborating each other, you know, we should be taking this seriously. And, and that was, that was the reason why I created the database is really to say, look, there is something really serious to this subject. And I kind of wondered, my aim was not to preach or say you have to believe, but was to say, look, there are things that credible people are seeing and, you know, the press should really report on it better and it should be more seriously investigated. And that was the whole point of me creating proofos. And yeah, I was still a serving detective and I well remember my detective sergeant calling me into his office saying, uh this database that you've just created i don't think this is going to be good for your career and i said well why why shouldn't it be I, i'm doing this off duty it's in my it's my hobby uh, in effect and uh, i said you know you play golf is, it, is that going to harm your uh, uh, police career and it was just like a snigger you know right. why should it affect me it did it did and, you know on another show perhaps we can go into that and they tried to close me down and things got quite difficult towards the end because as i got more well known within the police the police for my police force didn't like me being prominent in the ufo
0: fraternity okay yeah it makes sense and it's a shame the stigma is like that you know we're getting a little bit better with it today so hopefully we won't have that in the future with other officers that want to come forward you know Um, But uh, let's go ahead and take our break real quick, and when we get back, we can hit some of these other points and some of the research that you're involved in, because it's really interesting. Um, So we're going to take our quick break, and we'll be back right after these commercial messages. Introducing the new and sought-after book spiritual consciousness a personal journey by author and experiencer kevin j briggs see the photos of what kevin witnessed and links for the book at ufo encounters worldwide wordpress.com or in the description of the episode below again that spiritual consciousness a personal journey by kevin j briggs UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to announce our brand new home at the UNX Network. Listen to us every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast. That's on the UNX Network. UFO Encounters
1: Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sightings you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today.
0: Looking to get some UFO merchandise? We'll get some UFO Encounters Worldwide official stickers, and we also have pins. Check out our selection, DM us, or email us if you're interested for inquiry, and we'll show you our selection. All pins and stickers are $3 each and $1 shipping, or you can mix and match any five for $10 in free shipping. DM us or send us an email if you're interested. This is your host, Jesse Peak. Check out our official website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Read up on UFO articles, including abductions, close encounters, sighting cases, megalithic structures, and more. Also, check out our new Facebook group. You'll get updates on guests every week, new events coming up, and our schedule of who we're going to have on in the future. Again, that's UFO Encounters Worldwide Facebook group and our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. All right welcome back to the second half of episode 102 with our special guest gary um so earlier you were talking about your you know the um ufo uh videos that you were taking the infrared um and uh you're also the the founder and editor of ufo truth magazine um is that where you publish most of your work at is that where people can find this this information and data
1: well ufo truth magazine uh, i i I did, ended up doing 24 years in the police, uh, the last 19 years as a detective. Um, but like I entered in the, in the first half of the show, as time went on, my police force took a dim view of the, the kind of the, the the fact that I was getting a lot of media attention. They didn't like it. They kind of thought it would embarrass the force. So, cut a long story short, they made things difficult. And that's made, made me decide to retire early. Uh, and I and, and, and as it happened, I I, I I wanted to do it anyway, because I realised that I'd reached a point where I wanted to make a, more of a career and and, and, and and do something more solid in terms of research. Uh, and so uh, after 24 years, I, I created UFO Truth magazine, but it's not uh, in print, I tried to get it in print, but the costs were too prohibitive. So it's an easy and, it, and it, uh, as I retired, march 31st 2013 uh, i launched uh Full truth as an easy a 96 page bi-monthly every two months easing uh, that comes in a pdf format sent directly to your email uh, and that that started in april so literally a few days later after retiring i, I created that now i've had everybody who's anybody uh, write articles for the magazine it goes all around the world it's in pdf you just you know it, it it's totally devoted to ufos and, and it's sent direct to your to your email uh, and if anybody in your audience you can put this out as a special offer if, if they email me at hazeltinegarry i'll send anybody who emails me a, a complimentary copy so they can have a look at it got not be any fairer than that uh it's now been going 10 years now and uh, you know, uh, And I'm lucky, and, and I do publish a lot of my police stuff in there, but it, I try to, uh, more and more, especially over the last two years, with all the developments uh, that's been happening in the States in particular, uh, I never used to have many news articles as part of the main body of the magazine, but there are so many interesting quality articles coming out. You know when you think of popular mechanics and things like who would never go near the subject and doing them serious articles and things like that uh i i now probably include in every issue five or six really important articles and i've been doing so for about 18 months two years and that's because that represents that massive sea change in the way that the subject is being dealt with in the media yes it's still dragging in parts of the mainstream media, the big TV stations, whatever. And it's not on the six o'clock news regular like it should be, but it's coming. Uh, and there's definitely been a progression. And, you know, we've seen the legislation passed in 2022, then 2021, uh, 22. And now there's new legislation. As I say there's Chuck Schumer legislation. If that goes through, bipartisan support you know, that's going to be enacted. It's going to be the UAP Disclosure Act of 2024. I mean, you just couldn't make this up. This this is like a um, fairy tale to UFO researchers. Yeah. We never have dreamed of such legislation. And that legislation talks about non-human intelligence, which is really what we're talking about. Something that's probably extraterrestrial, my yeah. personal belief, but it may well be a combination of lots of other things. So the best way to describe it is it's non-human and hence why non-human was the title of my book on reynolds from forest because in the conclusion of my five-year reinvestigation of the reynolds from forest incident which is arguably the second most famous case in in history after oswell um, i concluded that those 17 incidents none of them could be explained away in terrestrial terms in terms of objects atmospherics or whatever and so my title is "Non-Human." the Rendlesham Forest UFO incidents that, in that in that conclusion chapter it's 17 different timed events over what is now probably four successive nights but we're talking about the, you know a, it includes an early report of something landing uh, depressions found on the ground on the 23rd of December which was totally new nobody's ever reported that but I'd spoken to a lot of military witnesses uh, who had re-interviewed people who'd already given some testimony in the past, and through my advanced interviewing, I was able to glean a lot more information. Uh, and uh, you know, one of those things was an incident uh, of a three-triangular uh, depression. Well, three uh, depressions found in an equilateral triangle uh, in terms of shape, uh, but the depressions in the in the in the ground weren't small like the ones we associate with Jim Penniston and John Burroughs that first night landing, we're, we're all famous, and lots uh, of documentaries and stuff like that. But nobody had ever described a triangular formation close to the East Gate, where the depressions were each five feet across. So not nine or ten inches, like John and Jim's. This was five feet across each depression of three, imprinted into the ground. And so again, uh, new information is still there. Uh, and and i was able to glean a lot of new information and and you know uh, a direct witness to uh, inside the nuclear weapons storage area he was a direct witness inside we've had rumors in the past but we never had confirmed source now we've got a confirmed source and steve longero he's inside the nuclear weapons storage area he's walking around with an experienced airman because he's literally just new on the ship. And he sees a ufo shining a beam now into the nuclear bunkers and it, it proceeds to do like a grid light search of the entire length of the nuclear bunkers which was approximately two three hundred meters long and it did like a, a, a swooping uh, going from one side to the other a scanning kind of mode if you can imagine that in your mind's eye, uh going down the entire length so you know that's i think that's one of the reasons why rental something happens that it's something to do with nuclear weapons. And Colonel Holt told me there were more nuclear weapons in Bentwaters than anywhere else in Europe. It was a nuclear weapons storage area. Uh, it, it, it was allowed to have nuclear weapons, but it's not about that. It's about it broke all the armament agreements because they had so much more nuclear audience, ordinance in, in those underground bunkers. And uh, I think that's why UFOs turn up uh, like they do but it's an amazing incident because we're talking five six seven days now if we start the period from the 23rd of december all the way through to the 28th 29th of december now so uh, we there was there is still more information to be learned more information than i glean at, and i'm certain there are more witnesses there are a couple of witnesses who are really kind of famous like lieutenant bruce england if you're out there you've never gone on the record if you do, please contact me, please read my book, contact me on uh, uh Robert Ball, Sergeant Robert Ball, he did a couple of brief TV interviews in the mid nineties, but basically he's never revealed everything. He's never been questioned properly. Uh, Robert, if you're out there, you're still out there, please contact me and, and let's chat.
0: So speaking of Rendlesham, um, Jim Penniston recently finally uh, won his case Um, with his health effect uh, case where he actually got health care. I think that's like a big, big win for this, the UFO field in general, and surprisingly that he got the benefits.
1: Uh, Well, he wasn't the first. Obviously, uh, John Burroughs uh, got paid out, Uh, but I also know that other people, I know that uh, John did, Uh, Jim Pennison got it as well, but people like uh, Sergeant Adrian Bustinza, who features uh in in my book um he was a witness on a couple of nights now it turns out uh and, and including a second landing uh he corroborated the original whistleblower account of by larry warren saying yep there was a landing i was there warren was closer to it we were in a corner around a translucent object there was uh, maybe 10 or 15 security police officers uh, surrounding this object uh, it was being filmed on motion picture cameras, so we're talking video, moving images, not still cameras, uh, that Colonel Williams, the base commander, was there, um, and that uh, Colonel Holt was there, Sergeant Adrian Bustinza said Colonel Holt was there. Well, he denied that, totally, as did Williams, but I know my money's on this, too, who was there, uh, and who I believe in, it's Sergeant Adrian Bustinza. Uh, excellent guy over 34 years policing sheriff's background uh, and then he got into working with offenders and corrections departments. so he's had a lifelong kind of excellent career and still giving back to the public when he's working with offenders and things like that and absolutely stand up there's no reason for him to lie um but i i kind of you know the 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 definitive payment Uh, to the likes of John, Jim, uh, Adrian Bastenza, I don't think it is as definitive as that because I don't think anyone can produce an actual document that says you're getting your benefits because of the injuries you sustained at Reynoldsham. Yes, you can make a circumstantial picture and say, yes, that's what probably caused it, but I don't think that there is a definitive payout uh, document that says it's a direct result, it's in black and white in terms of written evidence um john i think originally claimed that uh, but when i emailed him and asked him for a copy of the the actual wording i didn't want to see any figures or anything but i, I wanted to see that what they'd actually said he didn't respond to me so so uh, I, I don't think it is as definitive as that but almost certainly we know now with everything uh, you know, We know that Kit Green, uh, ex-CIA uh, doctor, was involved in a program, we think, with over 100 mostly military witnesses who'd sustained injuries. Well, Grant Cameron uh, told me that one of those uh, people that were on that list from Rendlesham was actually Colonel Williams, as well as John and Jim. Colonel Williams denied he'd ever been in that field, whereas... Uh, sergeant adrian mustinger and larry warren said he was there and he was within six feet of several floating entities in a silent face-off well where did he get his injuries from uh, and end up on that list of 100 people sadly he's passed away so we, we won't know the answer to that but i suspect it, it was from this close proximity to this to this ufo
0: now I I, I, don't, I don't know if this was just a rumor or not, but there was UFO sightings prior to the Rendlesham Forest uh, landing when they actually seen the craft. Correct?
1: Yeah, uh, one of the things that I outline in my book, uh, and and has never really been dealt with properly, is the way that the media portray it. The mainstream is that they they kind of there's been fifty sixty British English made documentaries of uh, English speaking documentaries. Uh, made around the world but they all really just concentrate on the Holt Memorandum which is the only document uh, that's really of any value uh, because it was written by the then Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt and it outlines two nights of activity. Prior to that the the Ministry of Defence, the US Air Force had totally denied anything and then that memo comes out in uh, uh, early, well about April, May of 1983, about six months before the big News of the World headline, a big tabloid news headline that said UFOs land in Suffolk and it's official and it quoted part of that that document and it was an, Air, an official Air Force document and that highlighted two uh, nights of activity. Well, you know, 40 years later, we now know that there's at least three, probably now four consecutive nights of activity, but it may well stretch earlier now, one of the things that comes out in my book is that there's a guy who, who came forward who's not a security police officer um, called James Stewart, and he was a crew chief and he was somebody that worked on repairing aircraft, fighter jets. And he was very close to the East Gate at RF Woodbridge, and he has an amazing incident. But it turns out his incident happens in late December, about 26th of December, 1979. In my book, it was included. Uh, uh in in the conclusions because he initially told me it was december uh, 1980 but after the book has come out he's checked his uh, uh, personal service records and found that he was he was posted out of uh of, 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 of bedwaters woodbridge in february i think of 1980 so his incident was actually the 26th of december 1979 and an incredible incident but you also have during 1980, you have at least three really significant, what I call <coughs> precursor cases one in February, one in July, and one in November of 1980. So, that, so for the media who like to portray that, oh, it still might be a lighthouse, which is always ridiculous, and that and the, the lighthouse is purely an invention by the media that everybody bought into, the media was a uh, involved in covering this up. I believe that at higher echelons, when the Rendlesham case happened, uh, higher echelons of the media were called in and said we must play this down. And they they, they, they did so, probably thinking, well, it's, it's best for the country. They wouldn't know what, what the full truth was, but they went along with it. And within days, the, 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 uh, the Lighthouse Theory is uh, pushed, promoted, and it then stayed all these years later. And it still is talked about in pretty much every documentary of the made. It's ridiculous. There was no truth to it whatsoever. But going back to what I'm saying is that these precursor cases highlight that UFOs, or UAP, if you want to use that word, I still like UFOs because you know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, UFOs had an interest in those twin bases uh, for, for a long time. And we know that there was a very famous case in 1956 that involved RA Bentwaters uh, called the Lake, Lake and Heath uh, Bentwaters incident, uh, where UFOs were tracking aircraft and then uh, performing maneuvers around fighter jets in 1956. So there's a long correlation between uh, what happened in late December uh, and, and UFOs going back to the 1950s. Uh, and so the way that the case is portrayed, especially in the states is that you only really ever hear about two incidents two nights you hear about holt's team going out here about john and jim's landing right well as my book highlights there's actually 17 different timed ufo events now what i mean by different timed events is that from a policing point of view if you were chasing a suspect for example on foot if you then lost him for an hour that would be deemed a break. If you've had him under continuous surveillance for that hour, it's the same incident. But in Rendlesham, when you break it down, there are different timed events where there are significant time breaks between them. So from a policing point of view, I've broken it down that way. And we have at least 17 different timed events over several days. And this is not getting reported because the media literally just focus in on the Holt Memorandum and John and Jim's, which is basically anything else they're not interested in. And so I think that the narrative of the Reynolds and Forest case, especially in the States, is completely wrong. It's been dominated now for 25 years by just four people. Colonel uh, Holt, uh, Jim Pennison, John Burroughs to a lesser extent, and uh, from the media side, Nick Pope. Those four people pretty much have controlled the, the narrative of the Rendlesham case for, for at least 25 years. And that needs to change because there's all these other witnesses that I'm bringing forward that deserve to be interviewed, deserve to have their story told in documentaries. And they don't get a look in because it's being controlled by certain people.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I, I don't trust the media whatsoever. And... There's always been the rumors of three-letter agencies being involved with what information goes in and what goes out. Absolutely. So, absolutely. That's a shame. Um, but I did want to get to, um, you, in 2020, you became the vice president of ICER. And I know a lot of people are interested in this part of the subject. Um, can you kind of give us a little background of what it is and what you guys do?
1: Yeah. Um basically ISA is the international coalition for extraterrestrial research uh, which was pretty much created in 2020 uh, but its origins stem from what was a failed chinese disclosure attempt uh, basically going back to about 2018 um, don schmidt in the states and roberto panotti in italy two very famous researchers had been contacted by uh, an alleged Chinese delegation uh, of uh, uFO people uh, and they wanted to see if they could create a coalition of international countries as part of the disclosure issue well before I got involved those two went both went to china and uh, uh, and whilst it had never officially had official sanction from the Chinese government in reality we know that nothing happens in china without approval by that so that's as it was uh, and they uh, uh, came to me and said Do you want to get involved we're we'll looking for like-minded people uh, to create an international coalition of country experts so i said yeah okay so i ended up putting a long story short of going to um, a chinese funded uh, conference in moscow of all places and that was a real highlight for me anyway in life because I'd grown up through the Cold War and being in the military, and Moscow was really always off the limits, so I ended up going to Moscow. That was brilliant to you know to see Red Square, these famous places that you only see on military films, kind of thing. And so we went there, and uh, on the basis of that, we sat round with this Chinese delegation, and we said, okay, well, the the you know because there's lots of countries in Europe with a lot of great researchers, we said we will start to. Uh, you know see who's interested in joining this coalition and um putting a long story short after about a year the things that the chinese had promised us didn't deliver uh they didn't happen so in the end uh when we went into lockdown uh i think 2020 um people started using zoom and skype a lot more to stay in touch with relatives etc and it became the norm, and I'm thinking, well, we shouldn't let this cooperation go. That we, you know, we by then we'd maybe identified 15 or 16 potential national uh, delegates. Uh, delegates, and uh, and I, I said, okay, I don't want to lose that. Um, I'm going to take out a Zoom Pro account, and I'm going to start contacting everybody that we've contacted and see if they want to bandy together. Uh, and 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 that's what we did. So we we then spent the next uh, year or so preparing for our public launch, which was uh, in May of 2021. Uh, so we're you know we're two years down the line now, uh, and we have now, now let me tell you what what ICER is. It's a it's a non-government organisation, an international NGO. We're registered in Portugal uh we uh, it comprises of scientists academics and leading uap researchers from around the world and we now have national delegates in 30 countries and we've all signed an oath uh so there's you know in the ufo community it's been riddled in the past that you could never get agreement on anything and i think historically the ufo community has been very poor at managing um, sort of being political with the subject, of organizing properly because it was always ego-driven. My group's better than your right. group, and, so and it shouldn't be. It, it, it really, uh, there is only one human race, and it's a global phenomenon. Phenomenon, and we should come together as that human race, that global. Absolutely. Aspect. So, so that's that was the primary driver for me. And so, uh, what what we did was we we uh, I developed. And proposed that we all take an off uh, and that basically that all says that after examining the best evidence from around the world for ufos over the last 75 years we conclude that uh, we're dealing with a non-human intelligence probably extraterrestrial but certainly non-human uh, and we should come together as a global uh, coalition so that's what we've done we launched we now have 30 countries now we're not-for-profit you know so we're entirely uh um, dependent on donations and we're not getting the big donations that we want yet and we won't do until we get to the edge as in disclosure and as the ontological realities begin to uh, hit home in the next few months i think if we get more hearings we could be close to disclosure world by early 2024 uh, especially with the Chuck Truman legislation. If we get to that stage, by then, big corporations, um, governments, educational departments, um, religious, uh, they're all going to be talking about... Oh, absolutely. Russia, and they're going to need to go to somewhere to help them prepare right. for what is this big change. And, and part of ICE's remit, our byline, is preparing for contact. And what we mean by contact is this realization that we're actually not alone, and that we're dealing with non-human intelligence, wherever it is, whatever it is. Right. Uh, and we need to come together as a human race. So that's really what ISA is about, and I think that's when ISA will uh, take on a greater importance that's and start true. to get bigger funding. Because if you think about it, if you then got to, re- if if there is a universal declaration made. Some point down the line, in say the next twelve months, that we're dealing with not something non-human at presidential level, and and, and that is said, then uh, the world's going to be in huge shock because they always thought it was a joke, they've been lied to, blah blah. We've got to go through all that, but uh, and and I think perhaps maybe fifteen twenty percent of the public will be very alarmed, feel very vulnerable, psychologically affected. Absolutely, pro- uh, it will be similar to COVID in the sense of nobody anticipated the huge mental health issues that right. would arise out of lockdowns yep so i can see that when the the disclosure moment happens and you'll know when it happens because you'll turn on your tv and on every news channel for the weeks on end it will be ufo ufo reality yeah <laughs> like COVID. Yep. that is yep. when you know it happens Absolutely. but it's on every news channel at the same time day in, day out, week in, week out, like COVID was. Right. Then you'll know that it happens. Yep. Uh, but when that happens, it's going to be a huge shock to a lot of people. The world's not going to fall apart like they thought with the Brookings Institute report in 1960, which may be one of the reasons why the truth was kept away from us, but we're in a different world now. Absolutely. I think the world can handle it. I think a lot of people... Uh, I think the latest poll says that 63% of people in America believe that there is, uh, you know, some the, the government is hiding stuff on UFOs. So if that was the case, we're ready for it. Yeah. Yes, might not, not necessarily like what we find, but I think the people have a right to be told. And once we are told, it will affect literally the last. 7,500 years of our history. So it will have to be rewritten again in light of what will emerge uh, and the lies and decisions that were made because of the lies that were being fed to the rest of the world. And America unfortunately does not come out this well because they were the perpetrators of the lie. That's right. Uh, uh, And and so we're going to have to go through that. I recommend that we deal with the the cover-up that emerges that which David grush talked about I believe that we should have truth and reconciliation hearings like you did in South Africa when apartheid right was, was phased out uh, all the people who'd been involved in the decision making in apartheid were brought in some went to prison I'm not suggesting that, that we do that now with people involved in corporations right. whatever but they need to give their evidence to say Look, yeah. I was a part of this and then say, thanks very much, we we now have it for historical context. That's right. We file it away, we can get history right, and what happened, and what happened, and what happened through all the decades. And then we basically say, well, now we can go forward with a clear slate, and we now deal with this as the human race. That's right. We, it, uh, uh, ISA is involved in what's called Project Titan.
0: Okay. Which is we got the about a minute left, okay. uh,
1: and, and the San Marino government have passed this. Now, to get to the United Nations, you wise.
0: Gary, we yeah. got about 30 seconds left. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay,
1: okay. We, we can always talk about it another day. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, we're promoting the UN initiative.
0: Okay, that'll be great. I have um, all your links in the description of the episode below so people can get in touch with you and ask questions about it. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing all this information. Um, sounds like we're going to have to do another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um for world sure world,
1: world, anytime
0: all right great well i want to thank everybody for tuning in today oh and by the way kevin briggs told me to tell you to say hi yeah
1: yeah <laughs> I, yeah we, we we know each other all over yeah the, he told the me
0: <laughs> all right well thank you everybody for tuning in to today's episode uh, we will be back next week we're having an experiencer come on and share our story for the first time um and please go and check kevin briggs book out over our website at ufo encounters worldwide cool wordpress.com and until next time remember to keep your eyes in the sky well i want to thank gary Hesseltime for coming on today and sharing all the information of all the different suits that he wears in this field of ufology um, great career as a police officer and doing a lot of good research and investigating within the field Um, Definitely go check out his book, Non-Human. You can get that over at Amazon, and the description is also in the episode below here. Um, Thank you again, Gary. Next week, we are going to have an experiencer come on and share her story for the first time. Her name, and is a longtime listener, by the way, Kathleen Hager. Um, So we're looking forward to that. Um, I've already talked with her about her experiences. They're very, very interesting for sure. Um, So you guys will want to tune in for that. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Please go check out Kevin Briggs' new book, Spiritual Consciousness: A Personal Journey. It is now the number one bestseller at BMK Publishing. Um, the, the the reviews are absolutely amazing. Um, people are loving the book, and a lot of people can find similarities in his experience with their own. Um, he goes over close encounters with non-human intelligences, consciousness at a young age, and out-of-body experiences—something many experiencers. Um, live through. So uh, go check that out. You can get that over to our website or at KevinJBriggs.com. So thank you for tuning in to today's episode. And remember, as always, keep your eyes in the sky.